welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Undeniable Future Podcast. Three interviews. We got another interview this week. We're going three for three. Trifecta. No misses. No misses. Not at all. 100% from the field. <laughs> we got we got a lot of diverse people coming on to the podcast. We had, uh, we had a guest from California come on the first episode. Had a guest from Edmonton, Alberta come in. Now we got somebody calling in from the great United States of America. Introduce yourself, my friend. What's going on? Uh, I'm Devlin, a uh, good friend of Lee's. I'm who's a former United States Marine. Well, not former. We don't stop being Marines. Yeah. And I'm a right. K-State. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a K-State grad, uh, which is actually where I met Lee. And so that's where I'm at now. I currently work for American Airlines. I'm steady traveling the world. So that's what's up. That's me. Well, welcome, welcome, Devlin. Glad, we're glad to have you here. Uh, we got a lot of cool questions for you, man. So really what we're interested in is kind of like your military background. So can you just give us a background of really from when you when you finished high school and you made that decision of going to the military and how that went for you? Yeah, so I didn't really take the standard way of like coming, going to the Marine Corps. Um, I graduated high school and was that May of 2009 and I had two I had two options that my mom gave me I can either take my butt to school or go get a full-time job um so I took my butt to school up there at the University of Central Oklahoma and it was one of those decisions where you get the you get to college and you're like this isn't really for me so I literally did maybe three weeks of school walked into a recruiter's office and was like, how fast can you get me out? So from the time that I dropped out to the time I signed my paperwork and left for the Marine Corps, it was probably about a week and a half. Um, and that was literally just to get through the process and everything. Um, That's quick. What made you, what made you have such a instinctive reaction from school to being like, nah, I want to go to the military. This is for me. I wasn't playing, uh, I wasn't playing sports anymore. And so like, and that was the only reason I really wanted to go to college to begin with was to play sports. Um, and so knowing that I could play sports in the Marine Corps, um, for like the Marine Corps athletic teams, that was, that was another option for me. Um, early on, like you'll hear people say like, you hear a call, it's almost like, you just kind of know that you want to join the military. I was always into like the end of the military stuff. I always weighed the options, the air force, the Navy. I looked at going to buds, um, to be a seal, but there was a point in high school when I remember my mom met my recruiter and my mother being air force pretty much told me to stay away from my son. Uh, So so your mother had military (laughs) experience too. So that also, was yeah, that, was that I'm like, something that helped you make that decision for yourself? Um, yes and no. I always knew I didn't want to go into the Air Force. It was one of those, yes, the standard of living is great, but after doing eight, living with the Air Force for 18 years, it, I just knew the Air Force wasn't going to be the fit for me. I was rough and tumble, and the Air Force is soft and fragile. Um, and that's not to say the whole air force is soft and fragile. There's green side air force, but, uh, 
which are like your, your MPs, your PJs and stuff like that. But like, I, the Air Force just wasn't for me. So I had always seen the Marines growing up. Like when we lived in Japan, they used to run through our neighborhood. Um, and you'd always hear them. You'd hear their cadences. You'd hear them coming down the street. So that was one of those big things, uh, that I always remembered. And so when I would see the Marine Corps recruiter, we would, we would shoot the craft for lack of better terms. And it was just one of those natural fits. So like, it was just plus at the time, the commercials that were running for the Marine Corps were of the slaying the dragons in the dress blues with the sword. Um, <laughs> and so, so you said you, you were, you were growing up in Japan. Uh, were you traveling a lot because of your, your mother's service when she was in the military? Yeah. So I didn't move back to the States. So I was, um, was 15 almost 16 um i was born in germany and from germany we moved to japan okinawa um which is home to one of the larger air force bases in the region down that way um and then from there we took off to england to one of the largest bomber bases in europe the base itself probably had maybe three four hundred people that were military personnel but it's the largest bomber base in Europe. It's a lo- it's more runway than it is anything else. And it's tucked away. Like we would use the big saying when you got to RAF Fairford was where in the world is Fairford? Because it's literally, if you don't know to look for it, you're not going to find it. <laughs> um, kind of deals. And so from there we went to the Azores, um, out in the middle of the Atlantic, 500 miles off the coast of Portugal. And we lived out there, and then from there we went to Virginia and then out to Oklahoma. So for the most part of my growing up, it was military bases around the world. So what So what years did you go into the Marines? So what year so was that? So I, I joined the Marine Corps in 2009, October of 2009. Okay. Um, yeah, so for us, we do three months in, in boot camp. So I spent Halloween, Thanksgiving, mm. Christmas, New Year's and boot camp. So, so Barack it was a so Barack was always your commander in chief. Correct. All right. Yeah. And he gave so. he said correct. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So, correct. <laughs> correct. So yeah, it was and it was good though because at the same time, like I just because that was around not long after he got elected in, so like. Mm. It was a big transition even going in. Like you heard people, there was talks about like how things were being managed, but like it wasn't anything crazy. It was, I think there was more pushback on the outside than there was on the inside. Cause you know, we can't, it's not like we're going to say no to the commander in chief. Yeah. <laughs> how much of a separation is there from like what you'd hear in like media from like a regular person who's not in the military to what you experience once you get in? Like, of course, if you have Barack Obama, the first black president is president there's a lot of talk now about what he's going to do, what his movements are going to be across the country, across the world. When you get into there, is it the same way where it's really a big issue of who's actually the president or does it kind of go away and you kind of more defer to your commanders? So we can't, you, when you're in, I feel like you can't really be like, you can have your own opinion. Mm. So like, don't ever think that we don't have our own opinions. Mm-hmm. Difference is though, when we're in uniform, that opinion goes away. Mm-hmm. because we have to we have to adhere to the orders that our commanding our commanding officers 
our staff NCOs that they give us. So in uniform, you really have no say. Your opinion really does. Your opinion doesn't matter. Outside of uniform, outside of the uniform, you can have your own opinions. But even then, like uh, I know right now with the election going on, the Marine Corps itself has also had to put out like, hey, you can't be in uniform and say, oh, I'm with this party. Like that's major no nos um, and stuff I- like that. And I, you know, that's probably a good thing. I don't really want somebody in uniform telling me their political views, to be honest. And that's it. So like, and you hear it, like, do you, of course, like you have locker room talk, you got shop talk, mm-hmm. like you're going to like, you may talk about it around like your small group that you work with. Cause in the Marine Corps, depending on what you're doing, you're kind of in like a family. It's kind of like your work group is like your family. Yeah. Um, and especially like in the unit I was in BMAQ for, uh, the unit as a whole was practically like a family. Um, but at the same time, like at work, that wasn't a conversation that was brought up often. That's like, and if it was, it was shut down quickly. Oh yeah. I guess we're at this point of the podcast, but I guess we forgot to ask you what your specific credentials were in the military. So in yeah, the, in the so Marines, I, yes, go ahead. Yeah. So I was a Marine Aviation Ordnance Man, IOIS. If you ain't shit, you ain't ordnance. Um, <laughs> shout out to anybody out there who's listening to this. That's sixty five thirty one. If you're sixty five forty one, do you really work? Um, <laughs> but they're just as much part of our bunch as well. So I actually worked on the organizational side of aviation, like Marine Corps Aviation Ordnance. So what I would end up doing on my day to day was coming in. We would get the aircraft ready to go, get them loaded up with whatever munitions they needed for the day, get the, and we worked a flight schedule. Now, if we were on night, we also were in charge of maintaining all of the armament systems on the aircraft. Now, the unit I'd worked with specifically, we worked on EA-60 Prowlers, the Sky Pig, um, or the Dodge Caravan of the Marine Corps. It was a glorious jet, had a giant donkey dick on its forehead. Um <laughs> And it screamed loud, like some did scream loud. That's probably the best way to put it. Um, all right, all right. It's an extremely loud aircraft. It was, uh, it was known as one of the fastest moving jets in the Navy and Marine Corps fleet when it was active. Yeah. Um, it specialized in electronic warfare. So trying to think of the best way to put this tactical jamming and all that crazy mm-hmm. stuff that you would see, you hear about in the movies, but you don't really like, you don't understand See, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People hear EW, but the reality is they don't really know what electronic warfare is. That's mm. the area of the game we played in. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, that was it. It's maintaining aircraft weapon systems and munitions. So, but like the counter side is we have our eye level guys. So I may take a bomb rack off the aircraft. I got to turn it in to get fixed with somebody else. That's not my problem. As long as it works when we put it on the aircraft, as long as it stays working, we're good. <laughs> but when it's time for it to go to inspection, it goes to somebody else. So I'd you, strictly deal with the aircraft. When you were deployed, where, where did you have your tours when you were in the military? Um, so for us, we, we're land-based. So we're not, because the Navy has their own EW aircraft. So when I was in, they were in the transition from the EA-6B to the EA-18G Gulf, the growler. Um, 
so the Navy takes their electronic warfare aircraft and they'll take them out to the ships. We would go to Bag like we for us we did a deployment to Bagram and we did went to Japan um, around the time that everybody was getting ready to blow North Korea off the face of the earth. Um, and so that, those were our big things. We'd go out there and do that stuff for them. So it was between Afghanistan and Japan. Um, so, so yeah, that Afghanistan, was, there's like a lot of people who would say that it was a wrongful war. There's no justification for it. And I kind of asked you earlier, I guess, um, obviously people have their own opinions when they're in the military, but how do you kind of square that? Not you personally, but just people who are in the military, their personal opinions when they are going to battle. Cause obviously, like you said, you can't carry that into war with you and you have that uniform yeah. on, but uh, like, how do you kind of square that? How do you sit with that in your mind afterwards? Do you have conversations, think, conversations with people? Yeah. Like, and I know me and Lee have had them when we were in college. Like my take on it, when we go down, when we go down range, especially into Afghanistan, it's my take. On, like, yes, we're, we're there for a reason. What reason that's for somebody way up above. Um, and like I've told people before, I feel like the enlisted military member is sometimes is, is a pawn in a giant chess game. Mm. Um, because here's the reality of it. If you get killed downrange, somebody's coming to fill your spot. It's not like the, the war is all of a sudden just going to stop. You feel um, like a, it was kind of like your tool and you just want to be the sharpest tool possible. Yeah, exactly. And especially in the Marine Corps, we're the tip of the spear. Like, we are, nobody says, oh, the Marine Corps, like, they're a bunch of chumps. Y'all, you guys, not, go, you guys <laughs> went in first. You guys are the first yeah. to get in. Yeah. That's, yeah, nobody says that about the Marine Corps. Mm. So, like, when you say, when we go down range, though, the mind shift switches. Yes, we're there to do our job. We're going to do our job. We're going to, we're going to accomplish the mission. That's number one. The secondary side of that, though, is I don't give a damn about who's back home. Yes, my family's here. Who I care about is in the States. But the only people that are going through that with me are the people to the left and to the right of me. Mm -hmm. That's it. So if there's munitions falling out of the sky, I can't think about my mom at home or my brother back home or my sister Susie or my whatever. It's yeah. making sure the person to the left and to the right of me are taken care of so that way we can finish to keep trying to accomplish the mission. And that's really what it is, is yes, we're there, our, our mission's there. Mm -hmm. But the mission can't get done if we aren't taking care of each other. And you can't, you can send me a care package, but I don't care how many Swedish fish you send me in Afghanistan. <laughs> 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 the man to the left and to the right of me are the ones who are going to make sure I get home. Okay. So it sounds yeah. like once you're, once you're deployed, you're really insulated into the people who you have to your immediate vicinity who really matter at that point. That's it. They're the only ones that matter at that point. Like you, we say it all the time when we go before we deploy, make sure you have everything squared away at home. Mm -hmm. Because once we're gone, they've got to take care of home and you've got to take care of what you got to deal with. We got to go pay the bills. Yeah. And so, and that's really how it gets like, you have to, you have to look at it like that. Cause if not, you're going to be miserable for six months to a year to however long you're down range. So I know like me and you have had a lot of, you know, 
conversations about the military in the past. And you know how I feel about uh, warfare in general. But mm-hmm. but you've uh, we've had conversations about General Mattis and how much you respect General Mattis. I've heard you, Dude, in the, Mad Dog, the head honcho. <laughs> yeah, Mad Dog <laughs> Mattis. I've heard you in the past. You said that if that guy said, "Hey, we need people to go to war tomorrow," for General Mattis, oh, you'd I'm go down. back. You'd you'd go down. You'd be down. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah, I follow that dude to hell and back. So, how did you feel personally when you heard a guy like General Mattis speak the way he's been speaking lately? about the commander-in-chief, about Donald Trump. And the reason why I say commander-in-chief is because of his position, being a general. How did you feel about him speaking about his superior, saying, like, you know, how dangerous Donald Trump is to the nation right now? Here's the thing. The reason we respect Mad Dog the way we do, and that's how I'm referring to him, <laughs> Fair enough. All right, go is, is because Mad Dog shoots you straight. Mm. That's it. He ain't, he ain't gonna pussyfoot around with it. He's gonna say what he's gotta say, do what he's gotta do, and that's it. And so, when he came out and he was talking about the president, President Trump, the Cheeto, um, and he was going off and saying, "Look, he's dangerous and all this stuff." Yeah, he's doing what he has to do because at that point, I don't think the people in the like the people in the country really realize how dangerous his rhetoric can be. So when you have somebody that's highly regarded like that, especially when it comes to the Marine, Marines, especially, yeah, especially when it comes to Marines and most veteran personnel, like mm. we, we as a whole take that wholeheartedly. But then at the same time, if you know, you were never, you were never in the military, but you see the regard that people take for general mad, that mad dog. Yeah. When you yeah. see that, and you see somebody else come out, speak against it. It really has to make you step back and be like, okay, this dude isn't just like a legend amongst his, like his Marines. This dude's a legend globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and he's coming out saying this dude is dangerous. <laughs> At some point you have to realize, okay, he's coming out and saying this for a reason. And I think he earned a lot of credibility because if you, even in the book that he wrote, he did criticize Obama. He did criticize um, Donald Trump. He criticized both sides of the aisle. He's not trying to go over one party or another. But it seemed like his message was, we as the military, we're being underserved because people at home are worrying about political effects of decisions that are being made and not so much a secondary idea as what's going to happen to the military overseas. Exactly. And that's it. And that's one of those things that he, that's why, and that's part, a lot of the reason why he is so he don't give a damn who you are. He don't. You put your pants on the same way he does, and he understands that. But at the same time, he also knows his influence. He can criticize both sides. He can't just – he knows, okay, if I'm going to pick one, I can't just pick one because there's a double – there's another edge to that sword that could be, is just as dangerous. So he does. He criticizes mm. every aspect of it, and that's what – and that's the important side. If you look at it now, even when we look at the election now that's going on, it's everybody's sticking to their one side. There is no, well, yeah, we have flaws on this side, mm. and these are the flaws of that side. You're not weighing out, what, okay, there's these flaws, there's these flaws, there's this good, there's this good. It's, no, this is my side, and I'm sticking to it. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's a very flawed way of thinking. It shows you the character because- of General Mattis that he's a person who's willing to speak to speak badly about both sides as long as he speaks the truth. Exactly. Exactly. It sounds like those commanders who are overseas have the same kind of mentality as the the actual soldiers as well. You said you're really insulated as a soldier, right? You're not thinking about what's going on at home. It sounds like the way he sees things, he's not looking at it as who's going to win the presidency, Republican or Democrat. He's just worried about everyone who's around him. So I think that's where he kind of gets his ideas from, right? Is that correct? Yeah, and that's that's it. You know, he's... I'm trying to think of what... I know he said it on multiple occasions. He says it all the time. The the best weapon America has is the individual Marine, sailor, soldier, airman, coast guardsman. That is the major asset that separates the United States military from every other branch Mm. or every other military in the world. It's that individual. It's that person that makes our military strong and it makes it the monster that it is. But if you don't take care of that, you completely destroy the fabric of what is our military. That's why I find, and I know it's reports and it's very hard for us to get to like where this kind of stuff comes from and who was said. And, you know, it's always just somebody in the white house who leaks this kind of information. But when you hear the president say something like that, you know, that people who have died in war are losers that that's so disrespectful. And then when you have General Mattis say what he says, and people are like, oh, General Mattis shouldn't speak out like that. It, to me, I'm like, man, this guy is calling people in the military losers. What, what, why should General Mattis feel any kind of, you know, loyalty? Like supreme level of loyalty to a guy who speaks about military members that way. But it's the same thing. We see it happen with LeBron James, though. Mm. Look at it. Shut up and dribble. <laughs> it's no different. Hey, we uh, want you to be really good at fighting this war, but don't have an opinion outside of that. How far does that go as far as Damn. like uh, your ability to speak out on things that happen at war? Is it some kind of like unspoken code of silence or is it a contractual agreement? What can you not say you once you're not deployed? What do you mean? Like, what can you not speak on as far as like um, events that you've seen when you're at war or things that you've been participated in or things that you might have seen as like wrongdoing? What are the rules so, for like whistleblowers who are in the military once they leave service? Now, I can't speak on the whole whistleblower thing. I really don't know how all that fancy jazz goes down. Mm. Um, I do like, but I do know, especially coming from the Marine Corps, when people report hazing, it's usually a con- confidential report. It goes up, it goes to the inspector general, then it kicks off this whole big inspect, like investigation and stuff. And usually the person, the people who do report those things catch a lot of slack. They sometimes are forced out. They, um, I think good examples of this are Fort Hood right now um, with all the stuff they've got going on down there. You can't tell me somebody like up there isn't trying to cover something up there. That whole situation doesn't smell right. Um, and so when it comes to stuff like whistleblowing and stuff like that, I know from the standpoint of the Marine Corps, we, and like what we see oftentimes is when people report stuff, especially if it's going to put a black mark on it, Mm. on the organization, there is a, from my stance, a, 
we'll do what we can to cover it up kind of mentality. I think one of the big things that we hear about all the time is sexual harassment and sexual assault and the military. It's always swept under the rug. It's always who make this go away. But then the person who reports it is always the one catching the, catching the heat for it, not the individual committing it. And so when it comes to that stuff, like, and even when it comes to like, we have this thing called operational security. When we go down range, we don't want to be posting on Facebook and stuff where we're at, what we're doing, what we're looking at. Um, mm-hmm. Because if we put it on Facebook, there's nothing to say that the Taliban, Al Qaeda, um, ISIS and all them, that stuff's out there. They can look, we put that stuff out there. It's nothing for them to go on Facebook and find it. Mm-hmm. Um, so operational security is a big thing. Then if you have, we have security clearances in the military, depending on what you do, you may have, depends on how high your security clearance is. So you may see stuff that's confidential, classified, TS, TSSCI information. You just can't walk around just saying, even when you get out, you just can't be like, oh, look, when I was in, I saw this, 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 this. Right. Mm. There's certain, uh, there's certain operations that you can take, you may be, it may have been a part of, you can't say anything until that stuff is declassified and you, that stuff may not get declassified until you're 80 years old on your deathbed. And by the time it gets declassified, you, you, you might, don't even know that it's been declassified. <laughs> you, so might, you're, you might end up like Edward Snowden stuck in Russia, hoping that you can go home. Allegedly. Exactly. He's in Russia, allegedly. <laughs> we don't know where he is. He could be anywhere. And so, and so, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff you can't say. There's a lot of stuff. And it's not so much, be- and it is, it's because they don't want you to tell it, put it out there. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be classified. But at the same time, even something as simple as unit movements, and I know this is a big one across all branches. When people, we have, so in the Marine Corps, we have what's known as the Lance Corporal Underground. Lance Corporals find out everything. They know everything that's going on. They hear about everything. It's and then it works its way around. And then it it work that information works its way around. And then you hear it come from top down. Mm. But with that being said, when we get ready to deploy, we also have to make our families aware of hey, we're deploying. We'll even these days X Y Z. The military wife is the greatest Facebooker in the world. <laughs> 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 they are. They. That's how they. They do their thing. They keep in touch with their families like that. Mm. We have to have our family members in the loop, but at the same time, hey, you can't go out there posting when we're leaving. You can't go out saying, "Oh, they on deployment again." Get mm. X Y Z. Like you can't have that stuff out there because now you're giving out that information of, okay, well. I know this person's part of this unit. They're leaving out to this country at this time. So cool. We know when they're going. Jack's on his way to Kuwait again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I got a question on that aspect. Cause then I, uh, I remember you said that you grew up on, 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 on the military bases. Uh, your mom was in the air force, right? Mm -hmm. So like right now with social media and having kids are, is there, is there some sort of like, uh, uh, um, not not like monitoring but then like i know that what it applies to spouses but how does that affect like uh kids when they talk about their parents who are going off to certain places like you were saying well 
I know growing up, like we, growing up, we, we were fortunate to have the opportunity to grow with social media. Now, it's not like the kids nowadays yeah. where social media is established. Yeah. We grew up with it. Yeah. Um, so like when I know for me, when I, we lived in England on nine 11, one of the big things that happened after nine 11, where we lived at was the B we had B 52 show up to our little base right before the bombings of Afghanistan and Iraq started. They yeah. just showed up. Mm. Um, one of the big things that we had to be mindful for, and I think at that time it was MySpace. It was, they were, that's a long time ago. And that's it. It was a long time ago. Uh, we, I remember my mom having to tell me, Hey, you just can't go out there posting about what's going on on base. Okay. But like, that stuff, when you're growing up in it, you're kind of ingrained with it. Oh, like, yeah, that's true. Dude, explain we, that Explain that a little bit, though. Like you said, sorry to like cut you off there, but like uh, he's talking about 9-11. What was that like not being at home? You know, it was like none of us here are Americans. But what was that like not being at home, being at a military base and seeing that the United States is currently under attack? What did that yeah, feel so like? I, it's funny you ask. I literally just did a video on this that I put up on Instagram not long ago. Mm. The for me when we when nine eleven happened, I was actually at school. I was at another base. I used to have to drive an hour on by bus to another base to go to school. So we were in school, and I remember I, we were walking. Our class was going to the library for something, and it was on the TV, and everybody was just kind of standing around the TV. And at that point, I'm not eight, nine years old. Like what? Yeah, I was about nine, 10 years old now. I think about it. And we're watching this stuff happen. For me, I had never lived in the States at the time. So like mm -hmm. you hear of, you hear of the World Trade Centers and stuff, but I really didn't have a relative idea to like what was going on. Mm. When we got on the bus though, we... Got on the bus. We let, went to leave the gate. The gates are usually open. You got people coming and going. The guards are out there doing their thing, whatever. It's usually a very fluid thing. They're checking IDs as you come through. Mm. I remember they had the gate shut down. They came on. The cop came on. They started. They opened up everything. We had to have our backpacks open. They searched the whole bus. They started to search under the bus. They had bomb dogs searching the vehicle. <laughs> It was like, what the hell? And we were leaving the gate. This isn't even to get into the base. That's mm. just to even leave the base. Mm. So, and I had, I had, I was a troublemaker growing up. So I had to sit in the front of the bus. <laughs> I remember when the guy got off, the, the cop got off the bus, he looked at the bus dr driver and he said, get them home fast. Whoa. And I never heard the police security guards tell a bus driver to get them home fast. The whole time I've been riding on the bus to go back and forth in the bases. He so said, how, how long did you have this kind of environment? Was it just kind of like a, a week long thing, just a couple of days, or is it kind of a wrapping up of security for a prolonged period of time? No, so like when, when the DEF CON level, and that's what it's referred to as the defense uh, condition level. When the DEF CON level hits a certain level, mm. it's a switch. It's not a, oh, a progressive gradual, yeah. no, it's a switch. <laughs> explain, it's the a, different, explain the different kind of like DEF CON levels. Like, what are they, like, you got DEFCON levels, we've heard of it. 
Like, you know, DEF yeah, level so like, one or two, but what does it mean? Well, it's not even ones and twos. It's Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, and Delta. Okay. Alpha is pretty <laughs> much green. That's why we asked what are you questions. talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Alpha, Alpha is green. All is good. Come and go. Uh, Bravo, you're, they're starting to do a little bit more like security checks, random checks, stuff like that. Mm. You got Charlie. Um, it's a little bit more intense. Uh, they're really starting. To, they're really like in the swing of, okay, we're tightening things down. Delta, for lack of a better term, shit comes to a standstill. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm assuming um, 2001, that's, that's Delta, right? Yeah, that was, and that's what we did. We were in Delta for weeks at that point. Cause I remember we didn't go to school. Jeez. When we got back to the base, we got searched getting back on the base. We didn't go to school for about three, four days. And then once they cleared us to go back to school, like, and we lived off base. So we would get the, our vehicle when we'd come on base to go. So I could catch the bus. We'd get searched when the bus got left the base, it would get searched. When we got to the other base, we'd get searched. When we left the other base, we'd get searched. Then once we got back to our base, we got searched. And then once we <laughs> were leaving. <laughs> Just walk around with nothing. Hey, man, I don't have anything, all right? <laughs> yeah, it was. Just leave the backpack yeah. home. <laughs> it's funny because, like, back then, and like at K-State now, you can't have a dark-colored bag to bring into the stadium. Really? Now they went to this clear bag policy. That's really what they should have done back then. Say, hey, you got to go to a clear bag policy. Yeah. It, was, it was. I understood why they were doing it, but at that point, it's a man. This is really getting old, and it gets old fast because now your whole schedule shifts. Um, one of the big things that they were telling, they were telling people, switch up your schedules. Don't follow the same routine. Growing up overseas, we're always taught don't walk dark, dark down dark alleys and unfamiliar places. Be aware. Always have a twenty-four. Stay vigilant. Like you've got to constantly know what's going on around you. Know if you're, if you somebody that you don't know has followed you for the last six blocks. You need to be aware of that because that's not normal. Yeah. That's um, a that's a hyper sensitive life to live. Yeah, but that's it. That mm. when you're living in. And it's not every, not every country that you're stationed in is like that. But when you're part of the military growing up, it's one of those things that's naturally programmed into you. Because like my TV, when we lived in like overseas, yeah, we had this thing called the Armed Forces Network. Mm. There's no commercials. Um, <laughs> and when nice. I say commercials, I'm in the sense of like. <laughs> You're not going to get a Coke commercial or like the Christmas uh, Coca-Cola commercial with the the polar bears and the cries. (laughs) They're all, they're all information based stuff. So it's like, Mm. Hey, they dug a hole next to your house. Be mindful that it's there. Hey, be vigilant of your (laughs) surroundings. Go back, go back, go back. (laughs) They dug a hole next to your house. Yeah. So explain that more thoroughly. bro. So because the military housing is always being updated. So mm-hmm. when you're on these bases, they're, they're constantly doing what they have to do to update like the housing facilities and stuff like that. So since they don't have commercials, if they're updating, like I think the big thing when we were in the Azores was they were digging ditches next to the wall walkways going into the houses and they were 
replacing water lines. And so you would have this big five foot hole by that five foot hole. That's about six feet long, about three feet wide and about four feet deep. And they would have the little orange netting around it and they would come up like they had, they'd create commercials for it. I remember me and my brother oh. at <laughs> and they would, and they would create these information commercials. Um, so people to pass information around the base. Um, but then you would have this stuff, like I was saying, like, Hey, be vigilant when you're out in town, walking around, yeah. don't walk dark alleys. Or they would give stuff like military history on this day in 1775, November 10th, the Marine Corps birthday was born and stuff like that. Yeah, like, yeah. All right. And so rather than getting the, oh, bounty, to- bounty paper towels are the best paper towels in the world. <laughs> 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 nah, the whole- you were just getting that good old fashioned propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were getting yeah. the, we were getting the, okay, this is what you got. And that's what you, so yeah. even though your parents may not have had to talk to you about it, yeah. you were seeing it and you were, it was being ingrained. Yeah. yeah. And so just to build on that, um, sorry to cut you off, but, um, so like you said, you when 9-11 happened, you had not been to the States, right? So how is patriotism uh, uh, different when, when you're, uh, I mean, when you're born on American land or when you're born on like on a base or living there your whole life? is, is Are you more patriotic because you have the idea of America from a, a distance? Or do you think uh, being in America is, I don't know. Uh, you, you understand what I'm trying to ask right there? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to get what you're saying. Uh, it's, I, I'm still American. Yes. Lee, Lee can attest to this, though. Yeah. I have a very different view to the world yeah. than what a lot of people in the U.S. do. Yeah. Um, because my view of the U.S. for a good portion of my life was coming home on vacation, it was going to my grandmother's house. It was going to go see my uncles and my aunts and stuff. Yeah. It was 30 days at a time, maybe every two, three years. That yeah. was my, it was a dose. It was a, America was a vacation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though everybody around me was, oh, America, America, America. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But I, I really, I really don't know America like that. Like yeah. mm-hmm. growing up, we'd have people come over from other bases, like from bases here in the States. And they'd be like, Oh, I'm from Detroit. Oh, I'm from Brooklyn. And I'm like, dude, I, like, I know where those places are, but <laughs> I just came, <laughs> I just came, from, I just came from Aria Fairfield. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, where are you from in the States? Oh, my family's from South Carolina, but like mm. I grew up in Germany, Japan, England, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and because of that, like, I went to a British school for a year when I was in England. Mm-hmm. I I learned Japanese when we lived in Japan. I One of my first languages ever spoken was German. Um, yeah. I, I remember my mom used to get mad when I was a kid. Uh, they My German family tells me this all the time. They're like, she'd get frustrated. Cause you would say stuff in German and she's like, I don't understand what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it sounds and like for so you, like, like America's more, it's less of a place you go to and more of the ideals. Is that, is that kind of how you see it? Cause if, you, yeah, if, you, if you're not growing really up it, there and like, living there, it's more of like the constitution, I guess, and the ideals people have there, unless I want to protect Texas and New York and California. Is that kind of how you feel? Exactly. 
Exactly. And so, and that's it. Like, and one of the things that I took, and I really had to evaluate this when I was going into the Marine Corps was everybody else, you hear them say, oh, I wanted to protect my country. To me, the military was just another job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. It yeah. was. That's deep, I, man. That, like that, that. I mean, I don't want to uh, brush past what you just said, but yeah. like for someone who doesn't have uh, a family in the military or someone who doesn't have that experience, right? Like when you think military, like you're not thinking, oh, that's just another job. You're like, yo, this is like such a big deal. I have to like, you know, but when mm-hmm. someone is looking at it, like, yeah, it's just like, you know, Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> clock yeah. in, clock out. Yeah. And, and that's it. Like I, I never looked at, I never looked at it as like, okay, I got to go do this to protect my country. Now, there was a part that, because I saw the effect 9-11 had on people around me, Yeah, mm-hmm. I had friends who were like, my family works there. I have family members that were in those buildings. I have yeah. friends that were like, stationed at the Pentagon. That side of it put a fire in me that I still probably haven't gotten out of I still want to go put some, knock some heads off because you punch <laughs> us in the mouth and I need to punch you back. Exactly. Yep. And so, and that, and that was one of those things. It was, it's a job. And then at the same time, I can go punch you in the mouth. Like yeah, right. can, the pain you caused everybody else around me. Now I get to inflict it on you. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, you said this is a feeling that you carry with yourself till this day, but now you're, you're working in a private sector. You said you were working for American airlines. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep, I work for American. How how well uh, does the uh, the military do with once you're out of service? How well do they do with keeping up with their the former servicemen and making sure that they're okay once they're no longer in the military? Oh, dude, once you're out, the military could give two rats fucks about you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a clear cut answer. Uh, that is that's once you're out, mm. they you're you're done. They don't care anymore. Yeah. Um, and and yes. and it's crazy because like for a lot of people who haven't experienced this kind of thing or seen it, you know, like for you, when I met you and you were telling me about PTSD and things like that, I didn't really understand it. But like when we were in college, there was a there was a time, especially after we started hanging out, we spent a lot of time together and I would actually get to experience. I was like, Oh, now I see what people mean, you know, like I would hear a loud boom or something in the room. And I could see in your eyes something changed. You know what I'm saying? I could just, yeah. yeah. So what was it like coming back and having that like feeling? Uh, it's lonely. Mm. It's really lonely. Um, when I got out, when I separated in 2013, we had actually just gotten back from Japan. I think I had maybe just been back from Japan, not even a month yet before I finally came home. Uh, when I separated and yeah, I think it took, I got back from Japan the end of August. I was home by September 10th. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I had no decompression time from like being on deployment in Japan to out. It, and so the first year I was home, I had, I had mental health issues when we were from Afghanistan and stuff like that already. And so like I had that stuff on the books when I got home, and my mom attests to this all the time. And she tells people, she was like, when he left and joined the Marine Corps, I never got my son home. My Devlin, the happy-go-lucky kid, 
that kid never came home. Jeez. Like, and so when I got out, my mom, first thing she did with her being a veteran as well, she took me to the VA. She made sure I got my disability claim done. Um, but even when I got to the VA, they were like, Hey, we want to put you back on these medications. And I, at one point they wanted me to be on like six different medications. And I was like, Nope. They would send me <laughs> yeah. the prescription. They would send me, the, I'd literally get the prescriptions in the mail and would yeah. set them in my cabinet, take one out. Because at one point my mom would check my meds. I would take one out and flush it <laughs> Damn. because yeah. Yeah. they just, their fix to it is let's dope you up. Yeah. Let's, and that's what the VA does. They Here's a drug. Let's fix it like this. Whereas when I was on active duty and I was going to counseling, I met with my therapist. There was a time where I was meeting with my therapist two, three times a week mm. and to get me ready to be deployable to Japan. And, and that was where that, I got more help from that than, Oh, yeah. here's the meds. Here we go. So once or, you let's leave, go talk in a group circle. Yeah. Once you leave, it's not the same amount of, uh, uh, I guess, focus on your, your side of the things, right? Yeah. Once you're out, it's on you to get your treatment. It's on you to fix the, to fix the things that you had to deal with. It's on, it's on you to get yourself taken care of. Um, How old were you when you got out? What? I went in at 18. I came out. I had just turned 22 when I got out of the Marine Corps. Man, I'm thinking about like where my mindset was at 22 and where yeah. yours would have been. And just like the how different that is. It's rough. Um, it's definitely rough. Like, like, what, like I said, I was lonely. My mom never deployed like that. So I couldn't talk to her and grow and like, and I love my mother to death. Like she's always had my back, like made sure I got what I needed. But my mom understood even because my aunt, she was in the air force as well. And she did a lot of tours to Afghanistan to actually the base we were at. And she kind of given my mom like a heads up, like, Hey, like he's, he might not be all there. And so one of the big things my mom had always told me was if you need help, go get it. My mom didn't know how to have those conversations mm -hmm. and she knew that. And so her big thing was go have these conversations. But like some days, like there's things that went down like in Afghanistan that I remember by the day I could, I can, I'll have smells that'll hit me and like, I can remember what was going on on that day. And like those days become trudges to get through. Wow. And I remember at one point sitting there being like, I don't need you to understand. I get that you don't understand. Yep. I just need yep. you to shut up, be my mom, and just listen. <laughs> just let, give me somebody to talk to. Because yep. when I go to the VA or I go to a therapist, or they're not going to get it either. Unless they've been there, they're not going to get it. But it's weird talking to them. Because when you're getting frustrated and you're getting mad because you've got all this stuff going on, that fireball that's deep inside mm -hmm. is raging then they're going to ask you, why are you mad? And that's and a lot to put on your mother. I mean, your mom's yeah. not a psychologist. She's not trained to handle these things, right? So even though, of course, you'd want to be there and you'd want to speak to her as your mother, that's a difficult spot for her to be in and for you to have to go through, right? Yeah, and that's it. And that was her thing. Is like She was like, go get the help. Like I don't know how to handle these conversations. And I'm like, I don't need you to know how to handle it. I just need you to sit there and listen because I'm going to go to a therapist. They're going to sit there and listen. And mm -hmm. like... But then they're going to want to put their two cents in. I don't need your. I don't need your two cents. Yeah. I just need mm. to shut up and 
vent because if I don't vent, I'm gonna go out here and I'm a and I'm I'm gonna accidentally blow up on somebody. Yeah. yeah. It really seems like they do treat it as like a nine to five job though, where like you work there, you're in the military for three, four years, and once you get out, they're like, All right, you you're no longer employed here. So if you need help but, but, you but, this but, and that, it's on you. Yeah, but the and, effect of being there actually like lasts way longer than the time that you're there. I feel like that should be like they, that, that that should be something that they should be handling more. Like, like what is the sell for the people that are not in the military yet that want to get into it if people that have been there are experiencing these things on their own, right? Here's the thing. The military the military is a great thing. Like mm. I, like I actually have a friend or I have two friends right now. One's getting ready to go into the air force. The other one, we're working on getting her into the Navy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The military is a great thing. You can go, you can join the military, you can travel the world, you can get your education paid for, you can get training paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all these things that you benefit from when you join the military. If you take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't sound like you, you regret your service at all. You definitely don't. No, not at all. The thing, though, that people don't realize is they'll get in and then they'll be like, oh, I've got all this stuff like available to me. Mm-hmm. And then they don't take advantage of it. And then when they get out, they're like, oh, what do I do now? Yeah. It's like, well, while you were in, you could have gone to those extra courses. You could have went and taken this. You could have went and got your started your degree, if not finished your degree. You could have worked mm-hmm. on your master's. You could have done this. You could have done that. And they're like, mm-hmm. uh, and then they get out and they have nothing to show for it. Yeah, that's that's the individual's fault. That's yeah. not the military's fault. Yeah, Uncle Sam is going to use you from the day you get started with the military mm-hmm. to the day you separate from the military. The military is going to get theirs. Mm-hmm. So you should be fully While aware of that the, once you're getting in. You got to surprise when you're out. You got to use Uncle Sam. Yeah, you got to get yours. You got to use Uncle Sam mm-hmm. while you're in because he's going to use you while you're in. Mm-hmm. So. And that's it. So if they're if you're looking to go into the military, go for it. Shoot for it. Don't come to the Marine Corps thinking we're going to change you from being. Uh, and that's one thing we see, like in the Marine Corps, people join the Marine Corps. Oh, I was bullied growing up, dude. You're not going to get like to the Marine you. Corps boot camp <laughs> and be some, <laughs> be some damn Rambo. That's not it. <laughs> that's that's not it. He's like. You're going to get the same training. You're going to get taught how to do it. You're going to get taught your job. You're going to, and depending mm. on what your job is, look, you might be some damn Rambo, but like, yeah. <laughs> but that's not, <laughs> that's not it. And we see it all the yeah. time. Guys are like, Oh, I've been bullied. Like I'm joining the military. So I, mm. the Marine Corps, so I stopped getting bullied. Nah, dude, you're just going to have a sexy ass uniform. And you still get beat up. <laughs> <laughs> you look good while it's happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got a the lot only of different. I got a lot of respect for you, though, Devlin, like as your friend and as somebody who, who knows you, like you're saying you got to use Uncle Sam. You're somebody who went into the military, came back, got their degree. And, you know, you're on your way to living the life you want. The military didn't use you. You use it as a, an engine to get what you want in your life. Oh, yeah. And that's it. Like, and Lee, you, I, Lee had a front seat, front seat ride to this. When I went back to college after the Marine Corps, I was on my GI Bill. Mm. My first two years of college, just right before I met Lee, I was kicked out of school three or four times, three times at that point. Mm. I was having issues. I was having mental health issues. I was having, I had 
in, I had an ankle injury that prevented me from being able to get to class. Then I started having more mental health issues because now I've got amplified depression with my PTSD and stuff because yeah. now I'm not mobile. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm freaking out because my hypervigilance is through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm, now I feel like I'm a sitting duck because I only got one good leg. Uh, yeah. And that was it. So get using those resources that I built up through those first two years, right around the time I let that league, uh, the K-State women's soccer team was getting started. Those girls do not realize to this day, they saved my life the last few years of my college time. Mm. Like, because you're struggling to deal with everything. You've got, I'm milking Uncle Sam, and I used to say it, tell people all the time, I had a four-year vacation to party. <laughs> K-State was a party. But when it came time to do the work and everything else, mentally, I'm still trying to process everything else that was going on over the four years earlier ahead of time. Mm. And you leave, when I say the military is a lifestyle, it's a structured lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So when you mix that division one college level women's soccer program and put somebody like me back in structure, now you just created a monster that you can't control because the success level that you're going to, you know how to strive through in that environment, mm-hmm. you're untouchable. And that's where people, if you go into the military, you learn, learn your stuff, get used to that structure, learn how to develop that structure, get the help you need. If you get, if you're going somewhere and you've gotten, you're having mental health issues, go get the help. It's not, it's not a bad thing to ask, ask for help, even though it may be frowned on in the military, it's not a bad thing to go get help. It's yeah. okay. I was going to kind but of ask you about that transition. From going, uh, yeah. sorry to cut you off. Uh, from going to the military into civilian work, and I guess you kind of answer the question. So you said that working the women's soccer team gave you that structure. So you kind of felt that if you were at your own devices to choose where you want to go, making all the decisions back in the in the free world, you were being kind of put up against a wall that you didn't know how to overcome. But when you have that structure, let's say a soccer team or American Airways where you're working right now, you feel more more comfortable in that environment. Yeah, it's so especially during that transition period, the first year I was working, but I was like, I was working, but I was swapping through jobs a lot. Got back to school and we all know going through college is a, you're learning how to time manage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to learn. <laughs> it's, try, it's hard how to time manage when you're sitting there trying not to strangle out kids because they don't understand the world because they've never experienced anything. So now you're frustrated with them. Mm. Now you throw back in some structure and it wasn't just a little bit. Lee, Lee knows when you're a manager <laughs> of Division yeah. One so, uh, Division One program, don't matter the sport. Mm. You're up before the athletes. You're at work before the athletes, and you go home after the athletes. You are an athlete. <laughs> they call you a student athlete. You are a student athlete. You're a super redshirt. Yeah. Yeah. You. That program don't function without you. Mm. And that's it. Yeah. Talk to and the managers, so, man. Come on now. <laughs> so, so now and that's it so now you're needed mm. one of the biggest things a lot of us deal with is that lack of being needed now the truck the train the, the train's still rolling that war is still being fought the train's still rolling now you're not needed Yeah. so now mm. you're needed again that's probably one of the biggest things that helps 
as a whole. Now I'm needed. Now I'm being required to perform at a level of excellence that I've been required to perform at when I was on active duty. Cool. So now I've got structure and I've got a standard that I have to live by. Mm-hmm. Now, right. only thing that's left for me to do is process my shit and fulfill everything that's already being required. When you put those, that combination back into somebody like a, a military person's like lifestyle, mm-hmm. we thrive under that. We thrive under pressure. We thrive through the hard times. We can do all this stuff, but we have to learn how to redo that once we get out. That's and some people transition fluidly. Some don't. Mm. See, that's, that's what's up. I know, like, when it comes to physical activity, I mean, even, you know, as civilians, we know that the military, when it comes to the kind of workouts you do, they're very rigorous. And you were talking about that structure. When you came back home, um, being able to do physical activity, did it bring some kind of structure to you? Does working out and getting physical bring that kind of, uh, you know, a feeling, a feeling, those endorphins that you get from doing physical activity, yeah. does it help? when you're back home working out playing sports when you get out come and coming back it's it gives you an outlet i wouldn't say like for some people lee you know i'm not a i can do structure for a little bit like Mm. when it comes to the gym but then my schedule usually starts flipping around and so like i've got to move it around yeah if you eliminate that though completely though you go stir crazy Mm, okay we're we're active people. You can't be in the military and not be active. That's just not a thing. Mm-hmm. So part of you is always got wanting to maintain that. Um, and especially I know for me being a Marine, I, I never liked fat body Marines. And that's what we used to call them. Fat body. <laughs> They're the guys who big body Benzes. Yeah. But if you don't make standards and you're on BCP, you're a fat body. Because we do. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of guys who are yoked, like, make Vin Diesel look small. They have to measure, though. They can't, they won't make weight. They won't make weight, but mm-hmm. they'll take. Okay. I w- have no issues with them. But if you're one of those fat people with disgusting in uniform, you drove me nuts. <laughs> I, I hate, like, picking up weight. Like, I know when I got hurt, I went from being 215 pounds, lean, mean, green, warfighting machine to 255 pounds depressed. What the hell is on me? Like, why do I feel heavy, fat, and nasty? That's a jump. Nothing I could do about it. I only had one leg. Mm. But as soon as that thing came off, you best leave. I've been running, ripping, running everything I can to get it back off because that's the standard that was set. That's the standard that I need to adhere to, even though I'm out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so the the structure side, yes, if you're one of those people, you get up in the morning, you got to be in the gym by a certain time. Mm-hmm. For them, that works. The physical, like the physicalness of it as a whole, working out and everything, that's always going to be a part of us. And you see, mm-hmm. you see some of the vets who get out and they like they just get blah, stomach hanging over their belt. I, I don't see how they do it. I don't yeah. knock them. You dude crush your beer cans with the best of them. That's just not me. That's what's up. But it sounds like when, when you were back in school, you, you were having a lot of frustration with, was it like conversations you were having with people where they didn't understand where you were coming from, or where your experiences were? Yeah. So, okay. 
think of it like this. You have an 18 year old kid who has never done anything. Um, and at K state, we have a lot of Johnson County kids. No offense to Johnson County to anybody who's listening to this from Joko. Let's explain that for somebody who doesn't know uh, what Johnson County is. What's Johnson County? Okay. So Johnson County in Kansas or Kansas on the Kansas, Missouri border is one of the wealthiest counties in the United States. Um, so you have a lot of these kids who come from affluent backgrounds, never really had to work for anything. They're truly there for like Gary V explains it. College is one of those things that's great for networking. Yeah. That's what most of those kids are there for. They're there networking. Yes, they're getting their degree, quote unquote. They got to Mommy and daddy are paying for school. They're going to get their piece of paper. Cool. Now, they're there to network. They're meeting, they're meeting, they're meeting their future wife. They're meeting somebody who's from another affluent family to put their families together. Yeah. That's essentially, that's what it seems like they're there for. Mm-hmm. Now, you walk into a class, like, for example, the expository writing class questionable class as a whole, whether it be race issues, whatnot, whatnot. You have these 18 year old kids who are trying to talk about these very complex issues, but have no reality to actually speak from. So you, you're teaching them, but you're teaching them from a very flawed standpoint. Now you bring in somebody who's you, a veteran, somebody who's been out of school, been through the game, had to struggle, grind for what they got and are working their way through. And even, even as a minority, and, and we typically saw this with minority students as well, is now you're taught hashing through these topics and you have people speaking from a very ignorant side. Yeah. Um, one of the big topics, and I remember sitting in the back of class, one of the big topics was socioeconomic status. Mm. they would, well, you succeed because you're rich. Yeah. But you've got to bootstrap it if you're poor. And, you know, the odds of you bootstrap making it bootstrapping it because you're poor Mm. or slim, you're doomed because that's, well, your socioeconomic background just doomed you from the jump. I remember remember those Johnson County kids used to be told by, like, sociology teachers and stuff. Add Johnson County. No, no, yo. (laughs) Shout out to Johnson County. We had a sociology. We had a sociology class where a teacher told uh, was telling us she was like, "Oh, you guys are are lower class because you're college students." Imagine all these kids who grew up rich in their eyes, man. They were they didn't know what's going on. Yeah, they don't they don't know. They, and they damn they damn sure don't know what to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> like in their mind, they're like, uh, because in their mind, they're thinking the next four years of my life. Yes, this is the biggest struggle I'm gonna go. Hey, shout out to my girl. She's from Johnson County. Shout out to me. <laughs> Sorry, Bree. Yeah, they're feeling the fire. They're feeling the fire. Uh, but yeah, that for mm. four years, college is the hardest struggle that they're going to go through. Mm. Because be nice. for a lot of these kids, they're going to they're going to leave school and they're going to go and they're going to oh my dad's brother's best friend or my cousin or my my friend that I met from my fraternity in my college, mm. he's getting me into this company that's X, Y, Z, and they're going to go off and they're not going to worry about anything else for the rest of their life. You know, I think that expands so, like even further outside of, outside of university. Except for myself, even I'd include myself in that group of civilians who wouldn't understand exactly what it means for someone to be serving in the military. 
and the way I'd interact with you, for example, would be to a level where I wouldn't even understand something that I'm missing when I'm speaking to you or talking to you. And one issue I want to ask you about is like, for yourself as someone of color, right? Serving in the military, mm-hmm. have you had conversations or issues with people where they might not understand what it means for you to be a person of color in the military as opposed to a majority, like a visible majority? Or is that not something that comes up with you? That's something that you yeah. focus on? It, no, it, 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 it comes up, okay? I think one of the best examples of this is uh, while I was in school, so we, Kansas State University is secondarily home to Fort Riley um, over in Junction City. There's all about 10 miles in between the two, if that, and that's mainly range space that's in between that two. They see a lot of the Fort Riley guys come over. Their, their perceptions of them are their Riley rats come to the bars on the weekend, they get into their fights. Nobody really wanted to associate with the Riley rats. Now you mix in the black kid, the black veteran, my, my skin color in my country is already a weapon. Mm. <laughs> now you add in, Oh, he's a Tom, he's a Marine. So he's gotta be dangerous. He's a, he's a monster. And I remember somebody called me he's that. A one trained monster, I looked so at I see you, <laughs> somebody called you a monster. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I will always remember this. But like, like yo, Devlin, buddy, Devlin, you're like 6'5", bro, like 250 pounds, bro. He's the one who called you a monster, huh? <laughs> nah, no, but I get what you're saying, for sure. Yeah, and so now, now you're sitting there like, okay, mm. and K-State is not different from OU, mm. Oklahoma State, Baylor, um, Oxford University out there in Oxford it's not different in the fact that like we all have like all the universities have their race issues. But when you're a black veteran, my approach to a lot of things was, Hey, let's face them head on. Let's bring the groups together and let's raise the conversation. Mm -hmm. So not long after I was called a monster by a student because I'm a black veteran, I looked at, I was like, okay, Something's got to happen. Something's got to get here. Because if not, I'm going to lose my cool. <laughs> I went to, I'm very, I'm a very dynamic individual. So I have a lot of friends. I had friends that were part of like Alpha Phi Alpha and other organizations around the university. I was part of Phi Delta for Theta for a while. Like, <laughs> so I reached out and I talked to some people in my own fraternity and I talked to the people I knew and I was like, Hey, like, look, this is the situation. This is what went down. Why not? Let's, let's be the start to the change in the, and what goes on on our campus. Like, cool. You can call me a monster because I'm a Marine. Cool. Don't call me a monster because I'm a black man in America. Mm. That's, that's where my, my, mm, you're starting to burn my respect aspect. Mm. Cool. You can call me a baby killer. You can call me all that stuff. Those are names. Marines have been called through the test of time. That don't bother me. 200 plus years of Marine Corps excellence, that name has never bothered us because at the end of the day, you know, you, we're the ones you're still going to call on. <laughs> yeah. But like, but do, when you, do weaponize- you feel like there's a conflict between your blackness and you also being a member of the military or, or do you feel no, like those things but- are very separate? It's to say whew. To say that it's very different is it's almost, I would really say, even heavily controversial. Mm-hmm. 
Because like from, when from I'm sitting, from the way you've explained yourself and what you've experienced, mm-hmm. I feel like when you're deployed, like you, you said, you're really insulated. You're only around the people who are serving beside you. So it's not such an issue. Mm-hmm. But once you get back home, you'll have someone criticize you, even though you are serving on their behalf as a U.S. citizen. And they don't look at Boom. you as equal. So does that kind of eat at you more so yeah. than the average uh, person who's serving the military because you're black now? It's like another oh, layer. Yeah. Boom. Justice, you got it, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> this is why that's this is why we have him here, man. <laughs> I'm just trying to pay attention, bro. <laughs> no, that's it. That is exactly it. Because here's the thing. When I there was a buddy in my unit, doorbell is what we I, I used to call him. I'm not gonna throw his name out there. Mm-hmm. Um, me and Doorbell, two very different people. I didn't start listening to country music until I joined the Marine Corps. I was the only black kid in my shop. Okay, so I had a staff NCO who was like, "Why don't you listen to country music?" I was like, "It's a whole bunch of white people, <laughs> <laughs> a whole bunch of white people." Singing here and on because the truck died, the dog died, the girlfriend left them, they're out of beer. Yeah, that's why I don't listen to country music. Exactly. But with on. my family being from South Carolina, he was also from South Carolina. He was like, well, there's black country artists. And I was like, nah. Literally, he introduced me to Darius Rucker from Hootie and the Blowfish. Mm. That's how I started listening to country music. My buddy Doorbell, he's from Missouri. He's from Podunk Nowhere, Missouri. Town's bigger than what I'm giving it credit for. Um, (laughs) But Doorbell used to wear a Confederate flag hat. Mm. I will always remember me and him. We we never saw a color. We saw that's my that's my that's my Marine. That's my dog. That's my homeboy. Like that's that's it. Yeah. Mm. It was never an issue. I remember we used to went to war with this dude, man. I don't think a flag. I don't think one little flag yeah. would, would bother you, right? Like, if you know... Exactly. Like, yeah, I know this guy. I went to, like, you know, we were right next to each other in war. Exactly. And so we... The, and the thing with that was, was we would ride through the gate sometimes, and the gate guards used to be thrown for a loop. Because I'm black kid, got my, got my chain on, got my hat flipped backwards, <laughs> looking like I rock, and then you got this country boy who's got a shit kickers on, talking about with a fat dip in his lip with his confederate flag hat on and we're bumping the Tupac and they're looking in the car like what the hell is yeah, going on <laughs> so that must confuse you though when you see people arguing about things like the confederate flag for example where the first thing that comes to their mind when they see the flag is race and it becomes a racial battle you're looking at it like my best friend who I worked with had this on his hat but I still was able to connect with them listen to the same music we hung out together and it was fine do you kind of see yeah. how like people people who are civilians right now we're kind of uh we hype up things to 10 that might be maybe a one or a two as far as how serious it might be. Look, I hate the fact that I'm even about to quote this. Greatest thing Donald Trump has called our, like the people in our country lately is a fucking snowflake. Sorry for the threat. <laughs> people are soft here. And here's why I say this. <laughs> At one point we all used to be able to think things differently and it'd be okay. Yes. Racism, racism is wrong as a whole ain't got no quarrels with that and that's the way it is and most of the people I know are on the same stance when it comes to like the confederate flag these statues and whatnot, we have gone to a we have moved from this is part of American history to a let's just sanitize it out Mm. we as a nation are in a very dangerous spot right now 
because here's the thing. We're going to hose all this stuff out and we're going to forget. We're going to forget about the generals who died. We're, yes, we're going to forget about the, the stuff that went down on down south. We're going to forget all of the dirty laundry that America had because we're going to sanitize it out. Oh, well, that, that reminds us of the slaves. That reminds us. Look, I'm a black man whose family who comes from South Carolina. Yeah. We got plantations all over South Carolina. You think I'm you think I'm upset about a damn plantation? You got me all kinds of two ways from fucked up as you think I am. <laughs> because at the end of the day, you know what I see when I see that plantation? Yeah. I see somewhere where strong ass black people strengthen me from the way back in the day all the way up to right now. So when so when Krusty the Crab down there walking around with his little all his veins popping out looking like he and my skin ain't cracked or nothing, I'm sitting there like, Oh dude, you can't beat me. You can't beat me. One on one, you have no chance. Huh? (laughs) So one on one, they got no chance. Right. Like you may have been able to you may have been able to beat my people back in the day, but I know how to play the game now. Guess what? I got a whole lot more will in me than you got. (laughs) I come from I come from fighters. I come from fighters. And the more we eliminate that out of like our history, the more we allow ourselves to be become weaker and that's not how it should be when you see those statues oh yeah i remember when my people had to fight against them and we fucked them up Mm. (laughs) so you can choose to look at it and cry about it and ask for someone to relieve you of whatever feelings you're feeling or you can address it and you're saying you take the other route i live in oklahoma city tulsa burned down used to be a bot Used to be Atlanta back in the day. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Black Wall Street. Look, yeah. Exactly. When I first learned about what Black Street Wall Street was, I was like, "Oh, these these jokers got mad because we started we started to catch up, we started to beat them in their own game." <laughs> okay. Why why am I gonna be mad about that? Cool. You you had to knock me back. You got scared, so you had to find a way to punch me back, mm. and you. You didn't really punch me back. You just made me stronger. Because now when I come back, and I, I'm out hustle you again. We did it once. I'm going to do it again. Mm. Well, man, we got, got a lot of respect. Got a lot of respect for that. Because I think there are different ways we can see the situation we're in. And, and right now, it. there's a lot of division, you know? And that's it. And right now, there, and like you nailed it, there's a lot of division. But for what? Yes. Here's the thing. Racism ain't going nowhere. It's ideology. Mm. Same wars we've been fighting, they're ideological wars. Mm -hmm. Reality is, we're fighting wars over oil. We've been fighting wars over oil for years. Ain't Nothing's going to change about that. Nothing's going to change about Muslims, one radical Muslims. That's an ideology. Look, the the whole, the whole, their whole concept of radi- radical Muslims and Islam and all that stuff, that stuff has been around for thousands of years. If you look into those areas that go back in history, they were fighting them wars back in biblical times. Yep. That ain't changing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's not changing. Yeah. Racism's not changing. Mm. It's not going to go away. Mm-hmm. Now, only difference that is taken on from now back in, from back in 65, 50, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now we've brought it back to the forefront. Now somebody has made it okay for the rhetoric to be back out there. We as a people need to come back together, shut that rhetoric back down. Look, if you're going to be racist, you have to do that at your own house. 
You're going to have to do it at your house. Don't come out here in the streets doing it. Because once you bring it out here in the streets and you want to spread that ideology, look, we're going to stamp it out. Mm. You're free to think whatever you want. Yeah. That's what America, That's what us in the military have fought for. Have your rights. You have your rights. Have your free ideology. Think the way you want to. Go for it. But as a country, this is what we, we're supposed to stand on. This is what we're supposed to do. Like. This is the way we're operating. If you don't want to be a part of it, as, as Trump would say, you can hit the devil and get out. Look, that we get out, um, <laughs> bro. Peace. Look, because you, for example, racism is blatantly illegal in England. Like mm. I remember living in England and hearing on the radio report racism to the racism hotline, and I used to be like, "Damn, they got a hotline for this." <laughs> <laughs> like we're, we're tripping back. Oh, what they got a hotline for this? Yeah, but like. We have to come together and realize if we're going to change it, we got to come together, change it as one, as one big collective. Mm-hmm. And, and the big thing now is we're starting to see a rise in mixed race kids. The mixed, mixed race kids, we, I see them all the time in the military families. Like, mm-hmm. look, we're all over the place in military families. Mm-hmm. You're, shouting out the mixed race. Some, You're shouting out the mixed race people right now, huh? Let's go, yellow people. Look, I got you. <laughs> I got you. But that's it. Because at one point, there's going to be so many mixed race people, blacks and whites are going to be a minority. It's going to be a whole bunch of yellow people running away. Yeah, and then what? What are you going to be racist to them for? Yeah. Because grandpa who is running the plantation going to have to be like, damn, I got one of them mixed race babies. Guess I'm training you on family I can't at hate them like my blood is in it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and so that's it. We've really got to come together and make the push to stamp it out as a whole. Like, we've got to come together and do it as a whole. If wow. we can find a way to do away with it, like, mm. to put it away in the military, mm-hmm. and and that's not to say it doesn't happen in the military, mm-hmm. but if I can come to terms and be in a fighting hole with somebody whose family maybe 10, 15 years before they were even born were like, F that N word, like, mm. and we're sitting here in the middle of Afghanistan in the foxhole, which, and we're able to take care of one another. Why can't we do that at home? Mm. Like That's I said, true. we're not all going to think the same way. We're not. We're designed to be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I'm not sure what your plans are for the future, but after that last three minutes, you might want to consider running for Congress. I'm just saying. <laughs> think about it. Think about it. <laughs> You know what's funny is my mom has been saying that this last year. She's like, you yeah. should just run for Congress. You should just run for Congress. And, I, and I'm and i starting to actually like think that at some point that might be on my scope. So look, <laughs> maybe 2032, whatever, next big election year, 10 years down the road, vote Devin Polite. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we got <laughs> I was listening to, uh, I don't know if you listen to Joe Rogan podcast, but he had uh, Wesley Hunt on there, former Army mm-hmm. uh, and he, he's running for Congress in Texas. And what he was saying and the way he came across, you sound very similar to that. And I think that there's a lot of value in somebody who's served and seen things a different way to bring it back to the country and say, like, I have these ideas, not just because I feel that way, but I put my name on it. Like, I, I put my life into three, four, five, six years of service, and this is what I bring to the table. I think that's uh, something of value. So I should think about that. Like yeah, I wrong. definitely appreciate that. I'll definitely have to put that on, on the vision board, see where, see where it falls. Sure. Because at this point, 
something's got to change. And it's not just, it's not just America. I know y'all got some issues up there in Canada. I know they're out there in England. I know they're running into them in Turkey. I know they're running into it all over the world. I travel extensively. I see it all over the world. Yeah. But well, I got to take, take you to Africa so you can see the issues we got going on there. Look, I'm time. ready whenever. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, we've talked about it now for years. I'm yeah. ready. So, and that's it. So, like, that's somebody's got to start the positive change. And right now, I don't, it's almost like there's a, there's a blinking light out there, but like, it's fighting for like its life right now. And if we don't come together and blow some, uh, blow some air onto it and make that fire breathe bigger, like mm-hmm. it's going to get stamped out. And that's, like I said, it's very dangerous right now. It's a very dangerous time. Uh, I got, I got, I got one last question for you. This is totally off topic. I don't know if you, uh, uh <laughs> you made a comment earlier when we went on the phone and you said something about Liverpool. So I just want to ask like oh, growing man. up in England, let it go, hold up, man, let it hold go, up. Steve. <laughs> I've been thinking about this the whole time. I just wait. I'm a Man City <laughs> fan. Oh, you're a Man City fan, huh? Yeah, oh, man. Wow. Now nah, you know what? I, I thought it was gonna be something like Man United or Chelsea, someone who's not up oh, right no. now. <laughs> oh no. no <laughs> I was no. I was holding a grudge the whole conversation, like how dare he disrespect Liverpool. For an hour and a half you're thinking about this. <laughs> For an hour and twenty yeah, minutes and you're asking about it now. Hey, it's Liverpool, man. <laughs> I know no no. I I really uh uh when you when you mentioned that I was like well, he's, he's talking trash about Liverpool because a lot of people from America don't really like watch uh, Eng- English sports. So when you did say that you did live in England at some point, I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> I don't know what happened for All a right. second there. But we're back to that. Yeah, yeah, no, he just went silent. Oh, no, he said that, you know, coming from coming from America... He didn't really expect you to have much, you know, you know, in America, people don't really know much about soccer, what's going on in the football world. So you're surprised about football like that. <laughs> yeah. So you're surprised about your, your, your football knowledge. <laughs> After five and a half years of growing up in England. Yeah. And here, when we left in 2002 was the year Man U got beat uh, in the FA Cup final by that small town team. It was, re- they were nobody had no business beating them at that point. And they were like, came out of nowhere. Cause I remember sitting in our, uh, in our hotel room the day before we left and me and my mom were watching the match. And when they lost, I was jumping up and down screaming. I was like, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, I grew up with the Gerards, um, Michael Owens and all. Yep. Yep. No, no. I I respect, I respect that you know those guys. <laughs> You just made a new friend today, Devil, and I, just, I want you to know that. So, but right. yeah, once this whole COVID deal gets done, I'll have to come up and we'll definitely watch some football. So. Yeah, for sure, man. <laughs> All right, yo, Devlin, it's been great having you on, man. Um, you're a blogger, so like, where can people find you, bro? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Devlin underscore polite. Mm. Or you can catch me on my website at www.devlinpolite.com. Um, I'm actually getting ready to drop the Be Epic line here soon and get the Be Epic thing going on Instagram as well. Be empowering to people's inner confidence. Uh, Lee knows quite a bit about it. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those positive affirmation deals. Like 
we need a lot more positivity in the world and inspiring yeah. it inside of other people is something that I've always been about. So you can catch me on those channels. The be epic thing should drop by December 1st is what I'm shooting for. So you can find me on those. Sounds dope, man. Sounds dope. Appreciate you being on, man. Yeah. Thank you. For Definitely being on appreciate the you guys having me. Yeah, man. Well, Hey, we'll be catching you soon. Once we're allowed to fly to the United States, man. Catching him in Congress. Hey. <laughs> in Congress. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Easy, I appreciate man. Appreciate you. Definitely take care. Stay blessed. You too.